Hello and welcome to the Flex. Matt St. Jean and Joe Howie here as always. We're going to get in and out of this one quickly because the Giants have a Super Bowl to play <laughs> later this afternoon based on uh, Joe's gear here. Just a reminder, this podcast is presented by House Enterprise in partnership with House College Hoops. Head over to our site, house-enterprise.com for more info. Uh, I just put up the weekly power rankings. Go check those out. Thoughts on the conference as a whole. Good stuff there. Friars. Uh, actually not moving up in the power rankings, mostly because some other teams have done good stuff since the last time we put them out. Three wins in a row now for the Friars. Yep. Two since the last time we talked to you. Both of them were dominant wins, 40 and 38 point victories. This is what we wanted. It, this is exactly what we wanted. Um, I think, you know, I speak for myself and for a majority of the Friar fan base when I said a lot of those 14 point wins, like a win is a win. So you don't, you, you take it stick it in your pocket and you move on. They didn't feel like 14 point wins. Um, I think that was also the period of this non-conference slate when the team was still coming together a little bit. Identities were being formed. Roles were being carved out. Now the, the 40 point win over Manhattan, the 38 point win over UAlbany, those felt good. You know, it felt like we're settling into our own. We're kind of striding. Um, take with that what you will, because these are opponents that you're supposed to beat by 40 points. You're supposed to cover the spread against these types of teams. So again, take it with a grain of salt. It's all relative, but it, they look, the team looked good. It looks like they're taking these games as what they're supposed to be, which is tune-ups before conference play. Yeah. And when I think one of the things that's kind of telling about how the Friars played here, if you, if you look at the Ken Palm rankings after that game against Ryder in the opener, that was close, even though the Friars won, it's not a good team. You no. played them closer than you should have. You dropped nine spots just because of that one game, even though you won. These last three wins against URI, Manhattan, and Albany, Friars moved up from 81 to now 68 as of us recording this. If you're moving up like that, it means you are outperforming what the computers expect you to do against these teams. Yep. Computers are usually pretty good at getting things in the ballpark. So if you're outperforming it, you're doing well. It's, you have to, like, it's obviously you could say, oh, it's a 40-point win against those teams. A 40-point win is hard to do. These are right. real teams. They're not they're not laying down in front of you. Obviously, these teams are in bad spots right now with their coaching situations. It's still guys who are going to go out there and play hard. And keep, you, have, you dominate both of them from wire to wire as an accomplishment. Keep in mind, this isn't the Boston Celtics we're talking about. These aren't professional athletes that do this for a living to make millions of dollars. These are 18 to 24-year-old student athletes. So beating other 18 to 24 year old student athletes by 40 points is not easy. And I think Cooley, you know, he talked about that in the press conference. Like the, a lot of the writing is very negative around certain players in college mm -hmm. basketball. Like this is a, this is a hard thing to do. It's mm -hmm. not easy to go out there because you take, you forget that the other, the other players on the other side of the court have pride. You Albany comes into this game and thinks, you know what? Like the Providence athletic department paid us to be here. This is a buy game for them. Why don't we upset them on their home floor and, and ruin their non-conference? Like those kids come in with a chip on their shoulder because of the conference they play in, because of, you know, the level of competition that they play against. They This is their Super Bowl. Like you said about the Giants playing the Eagles. This is That was UAlbany Super Bowl. That was Manhattan Super Bowl. So it stinks for them that they lose by such a, a significant margin. But that's not easy for this Friars team to do that. No. And I think you go back to the Manhattan game on Wednesday there. Friars get out to a 29 to 13 lead in the first 10 minutes. That's, I think we kind of talked about slow starts out of the half for this team and 19, sorry, 29 to 13 in the first 10 minutes. And then the first 10 minutes of the second half, 28 to 14. 
So they're just they're coming out and blowing the doors off you right out of the locker room there. And really the same thing happened in the Albany game, 20 to 12 in the first 10 minutes, 29 to 17 in the first 10 minutes of the second half, just taking control of the game where you wanted. Uh, I think Bryce Hopkins is going to be the biggest story for me out of this. He won road to the garden um, player of the week yep. because of his performance. And I think what the most important part, it wasn't what he did. It's how he did it. He is the focal point of the offense now. There's no if, ands, or buts about it. He came out. He played his game. They ran the offense through him. He looked assertive. And that's the way this team should be now. That's the identity. For me, the most important thing about Hopkins and what he produced this week is he looks comfortable doing it. I think through the first half of non-conference, I won't say that he looked uncomfortable, but what he was doing looked a little foreign to him. And you can't blame him at all. He played six minutes per game at Kentucky and really only had one outstanding performance. Now he's come in. He scored in double figures each of the games. He's averaging, what is it, like 15 points a game? He's coming in, and he's doing what he was projected to do out of high school. Took him a year. That's fine. Again, college athlete. This is the first time he's ever been asked to do this. But now he looks comfortable doing it, and I think that's the most important thing, especially now you look ahead, you look on the horizon. After this three-game win streak over URI, Manhattan, UAlbany, you're going into conference play, and your your conference opener is on the road. So, again, this is a team that's only played two true road games. So, true road game number three against Seton Hall. If Hopkins is looking comfortable, I feel confident going into that game. Yeah, and, that's, and you're going to go against a team there in Seton Hall that they've got wings, they're physical, yep. and they're going to play good defense. So that'll be a big test for Hopkins, and it's good to see, all right, he did what you wanted him to do against these teams. Now you take the next step. Yep. He's kind of now he completed step one. He looked as good as you could have expected against these teams. And this is still without him shooting the three ball particularly well. I think he will add that to his game at some point. So if he can do this without that, then eventually when that comes in, that's where he takes that part as part of him taking that next step. I think it's also huge in that it frees up the other guys like Bynum, Croswell, Carter, Locke. All these guys are better served as kind of secondary scorers and secondary aspects in the offense. And now they're freed up to do that without the pressure. And I, I think for Croswell in particular, I think that's really helpful. I was, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to say, because Bryce Hopkins is taking a lot of the scoring load, guys like Ed Croswell and Devin Carter look like all-stars right now because of what they're doing. If Bryce Hopkins isn't in this equation, he's not scoring at the, the level that he's scoring at Hopkins, uh, excuse me, Croswell and Carter, they look like they're overperforming. Now they look like this is what you're supposed to do with Hopkins taking a bulk of that scoring load. Yeah, and it's, it's awesome. Here's a stat for you. I brought this up on the uh, our Road to the Garden podcast earlier this morning, which you should go check out. Tommy and I talked about Creighton, Villanova, and all kinds of stuff going on in the conference. A little biggies, a little Providence stuff on there. Uh, Ed Croswell is currently third in the nation in offensive rebounding percentage. That is... Croswell cleaners, baby, as advertised. Yeah, and it's the Friars are just like the way the roster is put up. This is not going to be a great shooting team from the outside. It's not going to live off of those, but you can feel much more comfortable taking those shots because you you think you're going to get more second chances when he's out there. You can you can create that stuff. Where all right, doesn't matter if if Noah Locke or Devin Carter's missing a three or if Bryce Hopkins hasn't dialed in yet there or Jared Bynum, which we're going to have to talk about in a second. If these guys aren't hitting shots, we're going to be able to take those and still get extra opportunities around the rim and yeah. get some looks in the paint out of it. 
I'll tell you, Matt, in a year where the Big East is dominated by forward and big man play, I don't necessarily hate that we're not the best three-point shooting team. Because if we can compete with where a lot of other teams are going to, you know, focus a lot of scoring, if mm-hmm. we can compete at that level in, this, in the paint with everybody else, I, again, I feel confident. Will we roll through conference play to the top? No. But if we're going to compete against a lot of the big names in the league, I think, you know, Kalkbrenner, Sonogo, Nunji, if we were going to compete against those guys with our bigs, I feel confident. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think, the big question for Providence is going to be how the Friars handle some of the size and the rest of the conference. I mean, UConn looks like it might have two of the best centers in the country there with how Donovan Kling is playing. Obviously, you got Kalkbrenner at Creighton. Joel Soriano has. Oh, I forgot him. Soriano is a double-double machine this year. Eric Dixon is currently rated as one of the best players in the conference, according to Ken Pop. He's been incredibly efficient on offense. The defense isn't there with him, but on offense, he's very efficient. Uh, Nunji, like you mentioned, Osa Ikitaro from Marquette yep. has been really good. I mean, there's yep. just so many guys, and so many of these guys are 6'11", 7 feet or taller. I think that's where Clifton Moore... I was just going to say. Yep. Enter Robert. Clifton Moore. Rafael Castro, potentially a little bit too. I think we saw in the second half against Albany, he started to put things together a little bit more, which is good. Just seeing a little bit of development from him is nice. No, yeah, I agree. I, uh, who was it? Castro had a double-double yesterday against Albany. That was nice to see. Mm-hmm. Um, no, and that's what you, taking a, a step back here, that's what you get with these types of games too, is where you're beating the doors off the opponent. Guys like Rafael Castro, like um, Corey Floyd Jr., they get their run. So does Castro play more of a role than Clifton Moore in conference play this year? Probably not because Clifton Moore is that senior player. Right. But it's nice to see these glimpses of athleticism, these glimpses of potential out of Rafael Castro in games like yesterday, because when you're playing the DePaul's, the Georgetown's, the Seton Hall's of the world, like the teams that haven't been doing what they're supposed to do, that might be a time when Rafael Castro can come in and do some work. Exactly. Exactly. And, you never know. With a guy as athletic as him, sometimes it just all comes together at once. Right. And if it comes together in one of these games, all of a sudden, all right, let's, you know, he's going to get minutes and he's going to get run and he's going to be an impact. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, I think we've still we've seen Alan Breed continue to look very good. I, think yeah. he, I mean, what did he have? He had 12 points against Manhattan there, two of two shooting inside the arc. He knocked down a couple triples in that one. He had 10 points against Albany. He's been, I tweeted out, he's got a lot of love on the Flex account. Was Alan a three? Alan three, yeah. He's looking good. I'm really excited for him. I'm happy for him as a player. And this is something Cooley talked about in the presser yesterday is that, you know, Alan Breed is the type of guy who puts his head down and grinds. You know, mm-hmm. he's not like a majority of college basketball players where when the going gets tough, you hit the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. You know, Alan Breed has stuck it out, you know. Not a lot of t- uh, playing time last year. He, he obviously had a big impact his freshman year. And now we're starting to see that unfold on the court. He's coming in. He's putting up consistent minutes. He's, he's scoring. That's the most important thing. We always talked about him as a consistent defensive player. Now he's providing a little offensive punch, which is, you know, a, a next level to what he can provide off the bench. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm happy for him as a player, too, because, you know, he's more one of the more quiet guys and off the bench, you know, seventh man type role. But. Now he's providing an impact, and that's going to be huge down the stretch here. Exactly. That's he's given you six or seven points in some of these games. That can be the difference when it's Biggie's play and every game is close. Yep. Exactly. I think it's we're going to wrap up here. Is it time to return to the Jaden Pierre and Herd Bynum 
discussion in here. Pierre, uh, yeah. Pierre, 11 assists last game. And I think the assists, the passing has probably been his biggest weakness at this point. He's aggressive. He, he's, he makes mistakes. And that's okay. He's young. That's going to happen. Yeah. Last game was one where he didn't make as many mistakes and he was finding stuff. Bynum is the worst shooter on this team right now, basically, no matter how you slice it. Overall field goal percentage, three-point shooting percentage. He had that one. He looked good at URI. We thought he was back. This week has been a return to really rough stuff. He's, he's still one of the best passers in the Big East right now, which uh, yeah, I, with, with Bryce Hopkins stepping up, it's you can live without some of the scoring. But this is – oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm not – I'm still – the jury is still out for me with regards to writing off Jared Bynum. Um, I still think he is one of the most important pieces to this team. Like you said, Matt, because of the passing, he has been through our system. He knows the offense. He knows how cool he likes to run things. If Providence is going to be successful in big East play, Jared Bynum needs to be on the floor um, mm-hmm. just from a know what to do standpoint and a passing standpoint. But like you said, the scoring is um, really concerning. Um, and this is, it's the, I, you just really don't know how to frame it because if you take away Bynum's hot, what was it? Six or seven game streak from last season, this looks on par with what he did his first year with the Friars. It looks on par with this non-conference. So, you know, everything is, is relative. So Bynum was hot first for a month last season. I don't think we should use that as, you know, what we're comparing him to, but it's hard not to because of how good he was. Exactly. And it's just, it's a tough situation. I mean, he's a good player, and I don't think there's any doubt there. But if the shooting isn't there, mm-hmm. things get rough. And I will say, in his defense, like, Jaden Bier only had two points. Yes, Right. Bynum outscored. I mean, he was three for three inside the arc. It's the threes, to me, that are the most concerning part because I think he still has that ability to drive to the rim. He's not yeah. – a He's undersized, so he's never going to be elite at that, but he's fine. And if other guys are performing, like if Bynum is your fifth or fourth or fifth guy on the court on offense, and he's just going to set the table and set things up and set up entry passes and run the offense, you can live with that. I just question if that's going to be good enough when you're playing UConn in the start of January. I think, too, when I think about Jared Bynum from last year, I think about a lot of his scoring coming late in the shot clock. You know, I don't think they were necessarily drawing up plays for him, like three seconds into the shot clock to take a three or to drive to the rim. I think Bynum was kind of that fail-safe when you look Mm -hmm. at last year's offense. I think the difference now this year is we haven't needed a fail-safe because the guys like Hopkins, the guys like Croswell, the guys like Carter are doing the work when it's supposed to be done. Mm -hmm. So there's no need for Jared Bynum to tuck his head and and drive to the rack late in the shot clock because we've scored at that point. And again, these are, these are bunny teams. So that is, that is likely to change once the level of competition steps up in conference play. Mm -hmm. But I think if you look at when Jared Bynum was scoring last year versus when he's looked to score now, it's a little bit different because we don't necessarily need hero Bynum to make the bucket. Um, that's my take on it, at least. I, I'm sure there's numbers to back that up somewhere, but that's at least what I've noticed, you know, from the naked eye. Yeah, and I think it's important to remember too that it is early in the season. Yeah, and he didn't. He was hit or miss shooting at the beginning of last year too. So there's plenty of time for him to turn it on, and he doesn't need to be the team's best shooter. I think you just yeah. want to see him bump up the numbers. Be yeah. be good enough to be your second or third option from deep. Be good enough to finish on your looks to the rim. 
be good enough that the defense has to respect you as a shooter. You don't have to be that good to do it. You just have to be decent. And I think what's helped is Devin Carter shooting the three ball a little bit better this year than he had in the past. He's at 30% right now. He was sub that sub 30 at South Carolina last year. So like, he's a little bit better. He's given you some of those just the Mania, like farm. Yeah. Even Al, I mean, Al Durham had really bad shooting numbers last year, which I think is in part because he played so much of the year with that hernia. I think before that he was a better shooter, mm-hmm. but I think Devin Carter has given you a lot of those same minutes in a lot of ways. He's like a, he's given you like a little bit of Mania and a little bit of Durham when he's out there. Devin Carter, I think has been the biggest surprise for me this season. Um, I wrote, I wrote about this in my last piece for road to the garden, but you know, Devin Carter came in and obviously all the hype was around Hopkins. I think Hopkins was the crowning jewel of this transfer crop that Ed Cooley brought in, but you knew like, Oh, Carter's, you know, he plays bigger than six, three. He's savvy defensively. Mm-hmm. I think he's overperforming right now. Like the, the steals, the offense, like he's giving us much more than advertised. And I think the, the part about that that makes me most excited is he's only a sophomore. Like he's just going to continue to get better. And right now he's the team's second best player. And I think that that Carter breed rotation at Mm -hmm. shooting guard is really nice because breed is a really disciplined player. He's going to take a limited role in the offense. He's very efficient there right now, like Mm -hmm. making his looks and he's never really, he's going to, he's not going to make a ton of big plays, but if the play comes to him, usually he makes it. Devin Carter is kind of the opposite. He's going to be all over the floor. He's going to make bad plays because he's trying to make yeah. every play. And he's going to, he might force things sometimes. There's going to be moments where you go, what are you doing? Yep. And then he'll make some really nice stuff. He'll get a, a fast break and dunk it, or he'll make that shot, or he'll get an offensive rebound or whatever. And I think having that rotation of splash versus consistency at that position is really nice. I, I think the, the funniest thing about his breakaway dunk from yesterday is he quoted the Providence men's basketball tweet, or maybe it was Fox's tweet. I forget. And he goes, I wasn't even sure if I was trying to lay it in or dunk it. And like, <laughs> if you rewatch it, knowing that you're like, okay, I can see it. Like he hesitates. And then yeah. he's like, I'm already up here. I might as well slam it down. Yeah. Oh, I, and I love, it. I mean, he just seems, he seems like a great leader. There's that tweet he put out yeah. that after the TCU game about like, Tyler getting better. And then after the URI game, he goes, told y'all like, yep. uh, this is going to be a Yankees reference. So I know a lot of our, listeners aren't going to understand it but he reminds me of Rugnet Odor like a big locker room guy like tries to get the team to buy in like you're not the Aaron Judge of the team like you're not the best player the captain what you will but you're like the guy that's like buying in and you're trying to fire everybody up that's how I see Devin Carter on this team again a lot of Red Sox fans that listen to this are not going to understand that reference but he's almost like a he's like a Dustin Petroya that's the comparison I would make when he's if that three-point shooting stays where it is now, or even gets a little bit better, if he can keep it there, okay. Well, now he is like he's he's more than just a role player. He'll be a right. really really good player. He'll be one of the best players on the team. Yeah. No, you you got to go. So we're gonna wrap up here quickly. I want to I want to focus on one last thing. What Ed Cooley said after the game: "Quote: We have a feel of who we are and what we are as we get ready for Big East play next Saturday at Seton Hall." Contrast that with what he was saying before the start of the year where we don't know what we are. We don't know how we're going to play. We're still figuring things out. That matches the eye test for the way that this team has come together over the past couple days, couple weeks, couple Mm -hmm. games. And that's why I think there's a lot of optimism here. The team figured out its identity, figured out the roles, figured out how it comes together just in time. We, Matt, in a lot of our preseason material that we put out, 
you and I talked a lot about Cooley's attitude about the team going in. Um, and that kind of matched the performance on the floor is there were glimpses of greatness. There were glimpses of Hopkins taking over glimpses of Devin Carter doing this Ed, Ed Croswell doing that, but it wasn't all together. It looked very disjointed mm-hmm. the past week and a half, the past three games, it looks like everything is starting to click. And the result is clearly evident in the way that Ed Cooley is now talking about his team with conference play on the horizon. So I think that's a great takeaway. I think, too, if you look at the way that this non-conference schedule was constructed comparatively to last year's, last year's non-conference schedule was much more difficult. There were more quality opponents on there, I think, because there was a feel that this team is bringing in X many seniors like they're going to mesh much more, much quicker than this team is going to. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy with the way we constructed our non-conference schedule because you had some tough losses on there, but those are losses that you learn from. And in the meantime, you have a couple of tune-up bunny games where you really, you know, you get to know your team, you get to know your identity. And the result is you go into conference play, uh, I'd say a healthy eight and three, that we could be in a much worse position right now comparatively across the conference, a healthy eight and three, with your identity starting to take shape. Yeah. And it was, it was all chalk. Like they didn't, they didn't win any games that they weren't supposed to, didn't lose any games. They weren't supposed to kind of went, yeah. Which is, you can take it. They didn't do anything exceptional, but you're going to, there's good teams in the big East. There's opportunities for that. I'm not worried about this team getting quad one or quad two looks here down the stretch with how the big East is. Yeah. When the bottom line is now you win 11 big East games, you're dancing. Yeah. You have, you have, over 500 10 might even do it but i think 11 get to 19 wins overall that'll get you in you have a blank resume right now going into conference play and i think that is perfect we've seen fryer teams in the past go in with a, a really shitty resume sorry for the french but like you've seen fryer teams go into conference play like with some really devastating losses and you have to make up the slack by knocking off the top five teams in the conference like now you go into conference play clean slate you win the games you're supposed to. You maybe win some games you're not supposed to. Like you said, Matt, I think 11 is the magic number. You yeah. get 11 conference wins, and you're in the dance. Yeah, and I think at this point, let's say UConn, with how good UConn looks, let's assume that's two losses here to start. Uh, woof. But that's win, no, the rest of, win the rest of your home games. Win, sweep Georgetown and DePaul. You're in. That's all yeah. it's going to take. You don't even you don't need to beat UConn to make this happen. Just win your home yeah. games, sweep Georgetown to Paul, you get it done. Yeah. I yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. It's not there's no rocket science here. There's no crazy math like you got to win 6 out of 8 to end the season or you got to no, just no. Just win your games. Win, win yeah. the games you should. Yep. All right. That's going to do it for us. I'll let you go watch your your Giants Eagles game. We'll probably be back with you for a Seton Hall preview at the end of this week. So stay tuned yeah. for that one. Biggie's plays around the corner. And uh, yeah, follow follow us on Twitter at the Flex Hoops, at Joe Howie, at Matt St. Dream, at, at Matt St. Dream. We'll be, <laughs> yeah, I forgot my own name there. But yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Go Friars.